Welcome, everyone, to Put Your Cards on the Table, the only podcast where we're going to rule zero Colossal Dreadmaw as our commander. I'm back again with my co-host, Isaac. Hello! It's good to have you, as as always now. As always. Permanently. Home sweet home. And today, we decided that we were kind of sick of just dunking on Wizards of the Coast every single podcast for for two in a row. So we decided to be a bit more positive, and today we're talking about mechanics. Our favorites, our least favorites, and some of the most obscure bullshit we could possibly find. Absolutely. But we'll go ahead and kick it off. Uh, Isaac, would you like to introduce us to our first oh, yeah. favorite mechanic? We, we don't know each other's. Just to preface this, we don't know yeah. what each other put down. So Yeah, we've both compiled a couple of lists of our favorite mechanics, mm-hmm. our least favorite mechanics that we've seen over the years, uh, and maybe one or two kind of underrated mechanics that we think have kind of flown under the radar that we think uh, would be nice to see come back mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. All right, so... You know, it, after uh, seeing what I have defined as my three favorite mechanics, it has become very evident to me that I'm a big fan of card advantage. Oh, boy. Um, so number one, this, this is, these are in no particular order, by the way. But first, we have cycling. Okay, yeah. Cycling, fair. one of the coolest mechanics of all time. I love that flexibility of just being able to pay X, Y, or Z mana to... You know, pitch a card that you don't need, draw a new card. It's so excellent for the kinds of decks that have, like, kind of a toolbox thing going on where you've got all these different silver bullets to answer all these different situations. But oftentimes, you're not going to need every single one of those bullets for every situation, so you can trade them in for new cards. That's kind of the baseline design philosophy of cycling. But the stuff that really excites me is like when you have decks built around cycling. Uh a big part of that was a uh, in Ecoria, they had a whole bunch of cycling payoffs like Absolutely. the fox that gets plus one mm-hmm. plus one counters every time you cycle, the one that yes. pings, uh, the archer that pings people. That's yeah, that's very fun. Yeah, and it's so much fun to play with like one of my favorite cards ever printed. Uh <laughs> a little card from a monquette called, uh, I believe, Shadows of the Grave. Mm. Yeah, so Shadows of the Grave. It's an instant. It is one in a black mana. Return to your hand all cards in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded this turn. It's fun. It has a kind of similar feeling to me as, like, Storm a lot of times if you're playing a cycling deck and you get stuff like Fluctuator um, or, or um, what is it, New Perspectives, I believe mm-hmm. is the name of the card. They, these are both cards that reduce the cost of cycling, and you're just spinning. You're just spinning through your wheels. It's so much fun. I love the cycling mechanic. I And then you also start to see really cool cards. Um, I know we've had cards throughout over the years where we've had a few where it's like the cycling cost is like really expensive, but it does something additional uh, when you cycle the card. Uh, or you'll have cards like, oh, like you untap a permanent whenever you cycle it and stuff like that. Uh, it just feels good. Cycling is my first one. Yeah, it's like, a, it, I, I would describe it almost as if you're like spinning a revolver, right? Like you're trying mm-hmm. to get that bullet into the chamber. Yeah, very, very cool feeling. Absolutely agree. Love cycling. Uh, I never like focused on cycling much. But it is a very, very cool mechanic. I remember some of the first lands I have are like Lonely Sandbar and stuff. Oh, the, yeah. the cycling lands. Those are yeah. always nice to have, too. Yeah, absolutely. Very fun. Well, I will kind of uh, match you with a relatively basic mechanic that I just adore very much, and that's Landfall. Landfall. I love value engines, and Landfall is like the definitive value ability like it's as value as value comes yeah it's like i i need to play lands 
so why not get a bonus for playing my lands? Like, it just gives you more. My favorite commander of all time is Tatiova Benthic Druid, which mm. is literally just a 3-3 body oh, yeah. with landfall, gain a life, draw a card. It's so fun. It is absolutely so fun. That is one spicy merfolk. I remember it really is. I played a Tatiova deck for about a year or so after... Uh, after she was originally came out in uh, that was uh the the dominaria set right mm -hmm. yeah and oh man that was a fun deck to play the reason i ended i actually stopped playing it was because the particular way that i played it was particularly cruel just kind of mean yeah the primary win condition of that deck when i played it was a little card called sunder so i would just play as many exploration effects as i could fit mm -hmm. uh in into my deck for you know a reasonable monetary value yeah yeah because uh you know oftentimes those effects can get pretty expensive but i would just play as many lands as possible to draw as many cards as possible to play as many lands as possible get a little incidental life gain in there which is nice and then i'd play sunder which is just six mana it's four blue blue uh return all lands to their owner's hands oh yeah um, yeah so those those would all get bounced everybody else would get bounced um i would do this before i played any lands on my turn and then with like three explore i'd like play four more lands out uh, and just kind of stare down everybody with, like, counter magic up. You know, it's not a good way to make friends, and you don't have to play Tatio that way, but that's the way I did it. Uh, it was fun. Ooh, boy, it was mean, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just, um, not only does Landfall double as, like, a, a value engine, it can also just be, like, a massive finisher, too, with stuff like Scape Shift, where it just triggers, like, 80 of your landfalls oh, at yeah. a time. Stuff like Scoop oh, yeah. Swarm as well being out One of that. One of my so favorite good. finishers uh, in the history of Constructed Magic at all, I mean, this is its own modern deck and has been for a long time, but I love to play in Commander as well, is uh, simply Escape Shift in a deck that has Valakut and the Molten Pinnacle mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. it. Classic, classic banger the last of the people condition. of some mountains. That's right. You, I mean, if you could do it in probably one or two colors. Um, I mean, you could do it in two colors, probably like red, green, without too much difficulty, without mm -hmm. any kind of extra pieces there. Just put Valakut and a bunch of mountains in play. Um, for anybody listening that is not aware, uh, Scape Shift is a four mana sorcery. It's a green. It lets you sacrifice any number of lands, and then you search your library for that many lands and put them onto the battlefield tapped. Uh, they don't have to be basics. So one of the lands that you can get was a Valakut and the Molten Pinnacle, a land from the original Zendikar block that says, uh, if you have three or more mountains in play, when a mountain enters the battlefield, it deals three damage to any target. So what you can do is say you've got like 10 lands in play, you scape shift, you get Valkut and nine mountains and just, just machine gun people down. Um, another great way to take advantage of it is a lot of times people will play stuff uh, that makes all of your lands count as you know, X, Y, or Z basic yeah. land type, either just mountains or all basic land types. So that way it doesn't even matter what lands you go and fetch out. But, oh, man, that's that's such a fun that is fun a way to take mechanic. advantage of that mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All righty. So we'll, we'll move on here to my second pick for favorite mechanics. <laughs> so we talked about cycling before. Uh, we're, we're back. We're here uh, to pay two colorless mana to acquire some card advantage, and we're here to investigate. Ooh, interesting. Investigate is my is my next pick. I absolutely love this mechanic. Not only in the sets where it has appeared, was it did I did I love the like narrative aspect of it, especially in like Shadows Over Innistrad yeah. when yeah, you know, we didn't even know the full story of the set yet, and like you know Jason, all these other characters were in investigating, looking for clues and stuff like that. 
and reflected that super, super well. At the end of the mystery, you just discover that Nahiri's a fucker, and that's the whole yeah. mystery. Indeed. <laughs> and yeah, yeah Nahiri's more fucker than ever. Um, and and simply, not not only that, but it counts as an artifact, mm-hmm. right? Uh, your clue tokens. Uh, so investigate. Anytime you investigate, um, to investigate one time is to make a clue token, which has the activated ability of paying two generic mana to sacrifice it and draw a card. So, I mean, if you're looking at it from like a sacrifice perspective, from an artifact perspective, you know, clue tokens can be engines all unto themselves, depending on the deck that you play them in. Um, great examples, things like Ashnod the Uncaring or Corvold Fakehurst King. You can pop off just by blasting out a few clue tokens. But I just love how they function to smooth out gameplay. And honestly, this kind of serves the same purpose as cycling. A lot of times you're going to see cards that have the investigate effect attached to them that are essentially just, they have the same effect as another card, but they're a little more expensive and they also investigate. You'll see those and you'll see cards that are engines like, um, What's the name of the creature, the green creature that investigates whenever you go to land? There's a little landfall shout out. Tireless Tracker? Tireless Tracker. Um, yeah, so this one isn't really an example of like, oh, it's a it's a well-known effect that also investigates. This is like a clue engine. Um, mm-hmm. And you're going to see a few of these around. Uh, they are excellent things, not only to play and build around, but even just incidentally appearing in decks they do a great job of smoothing out what what you're seeing in your hand and your card advantage and also if you like to play draw go magic uh it can be a really effective way just having a stockpile of clues to you know if you pass your turn with all your mana open the kind of classic conundrum that you see there is you know if you're holding up counter magic if you're holding up uh, responses and answers and removal and stuff if nobody plays anything that begs a counter spell or removal or what have you uh and the turn gets back to you and you didn't spend any of your mana you just put yourself quite a bit behind um this is kind of the classic conundrum so you need something to spend that mana on whether that be historically speaking you know a sphinx's revelation or a blue sun zenith mm-hmm. in my case clues we love investigating i uh when clues were first a thing because uh, i i drafted a set of uh, original Shadows over Innistrad, I remember. Right. Um, but when, when clues were first a thing, I didn't care for them much. I thought they were mm-hmm. a little bit boring. But as I've learned more about the game and learned like what types of decks I love to play, I love artifacts. And clues have become like a best friend in my decks. Absolutely. They are so fun. Absolutely. You know, interestingly enough, I actually had a very similar reception to Clues when I first saw them back in the day when Shadows Over Innistrad uh, first release. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I, I didn't specifically dislike it, but I was very unimpressed by it and just didn't bother with it very much. But over the years, I mean, not only have we seen more cards with the investigate mechanic be printed and some of them more, much more powerful in some cases than the stuff that we initially saw in Shadows Over Innistrad. Uh, but honestly, just like kind of, I, I really do feel like I took it for granted. And the more that I have played with those effects, the more that I have come to really value, even even if it, it's not efficient, it's consistent is the thing. Yeah, of always having that option as long as you have a clue in play, being able to pay two mana to get a card, um, which isn't the worst rate in the world, by that, the way. That's about average. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to to my next um. This is a mechanic that I absolutely adore and I love, 
and I pretty much know for a fact that it is never coming back. So this is why I'm not putting it in the obscure mechanics. Okay. Because I I'm not really hoping for it to come back, but I love it. And that is Fate Seal. Oh, Fate Seal. Yeah. Uh, for those unfamiliar, oh, what were you gonna say? There's one card with Fate Seal. There are two. Oh, there's two. Yes. Um, okay. So for those unfamiliar, uh, you probably have not heard it unless you've been playing Magic for a while. To Fate Seal is to Fate Seal X. Uh, look at the top X cards of an opponent's library, put any number of them on the bottom of their library, and the rest on top in any order. It is essentially picking an opponent and scrying for them. Uh, and they don't get to see those cards. I've often jokingly heard this effect referred to as evil scrying. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It was only ever <laughs> printed on two cards, and that is Mesmeric Sliver, uh, which causes all slivers oh. to enter, and Fate Seal 1. <laughs> yeah, and a card called Spin Into Myth, uh, Spin into myth, which bounces something back to hand and Fate yeah. Seals. Um, Spin Into Myth was the only one that I remembered. Man, Mesmeric yeah, Sliver, Mesmeric deep sliver. cut. I run it in my Sliver deck because I love <laughs> Slivers. Excellent. It is super, super unfun to be on the receiving end of because you're essentially just like, well, you you pick a player and they only draw basic lands the rest yeah. of the game, right? Like that yeah. shit sucks, but it's now, so fun to do to people. And there is also, um, I, I will say, that, so this mechanic originally appeared in like the time, time spiral, spiral yes. block, right? Yeah, so for anybody who's not aware... Uh, way way back when and in, in uh kind of the, the i would say like the front half of, of magic's lifespan yeah, it definitely sure. was uh when they were starting to get a little more experimental with stuff there was the time spiral and the planar chaos blocks that played with <laughs> um time spiral in particular played with new mechanics they were testing out new mechanics this is where tarmogoyf came from mm -hmm. Uh, lots of other stuff. Uh, there, uh, oh, there's a card that where you enchant an instant in your graveyard. There's all kinds of really weird stuff where there there were all kind of experimental mechanics that they thought that they might do in future sets. Um, and so there were some cards that literally had one or two cards in this entire block that would have this mechanic because mm -hmm. it really was kind of a playground for those effects uh not dissimilar from like the list that we have in like the modern era of magic um except this was an actual block of cards that you could actually play and then in planar chaos instead of testing out new stuff it was mostly about breaking color identity and giving effects that already existed to other colors mm -hmm. and yeah I, I, and this one was from time spiral not planar chaos right the fate uh, i believe it was future sight is future what, sight is what right. it was originally printed yeah. in but yeah it, it's part of the time spiral block yes right and i will say there is one almost one more fate seal card almost Whoa, uh, I, I suppose we would say that this is a bit of an honorary honorary uh, fate an seal. honorary fate seal card it's one of those things where like i, I mean for example tatiova technically is not a landfall card that's um, true she uh she doesn't say landfall in her original she doesn't printing. Say it. yes yeah although there, that's she a whole does now. other Oh, does she really? Did uh, they make that evergreen? No, I don't believe so. I believe that they reprinted her. I think she's on the list. Let me oh, check. I see, I see. Because I know uh, Landfall as an evergreen mechanic is kind of its own can of worms mm -hmm. that people have been asking for for a long, long time. But we will say this honorary Fate Seal card is, in fact, oh. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Oh, yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. He has a plus two to effectively Fate Seal one. Uh, Tatiova Benthic Druid was printed with 
landfall actually on her card on the Dominaria remastered, like, uh, old frame version of her. Gotcha. Um, and, of course, says that on Magic Arena now as well. Right. But I yes, see. Correct. Um, so, yep, that's, a, that's Fate Seal. I absolutely adore it, but I'm going to be honest, I really don't hope it comes back because it's not very fun to be on the receiving end. I, I just like it. I honestly hope it does come back. <laughs> like, just on a couple I, of cards? I I would love a card that is a Fate Seal engine. Um, oh my gosh. I would build a deck around that in less than a second. I One of my favorite decks of all time, this is a modern constructed deck, was um, uh, Lantern Control. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh man, uh, uh, Lantern of Insight was the kind of the the card that you build the deck around. It just has every person play with the top card of their library revealed, um, and you can sacrifice it to make somebody shuffle their library. The whole deck would essentially it was very non traditional control in that you're not playing counter spells and removal and stuff. You you play Lantern Lantern of Insight, and then you play like Dacra Mystic and all kinds of other stuff that just basically mill the top card of somebody's library yeah. and your only goal is to get yourself to draw good cards and get your opponent to draw very useless cards yeah, like eight <laughs> drops or basic lands yeah. yes yeah it, it was um, like fate seal light the objective was to fate ste- fate seal yes. it didn't say fate seal yeah diy fate seal yeah, yeah. uh you know funnily enough i uh, you know if i might bring up my next mechanic absolutely uh, similarly, this is one that I want. There is a one hundred percent chance that this mechanic never comes back. <laughs> I would say that it is more likely that Fate Seal comes back than this mechanic comes oh, back. God. But man, you know, I'll squeeze everything I can out of the cards that already have it, and that's Dredge. Yeah, that's yep. I, I couldn't have possibly seen this one coming. <laughs> oh, I love Dredge. I gotta you say, know, it's one of the most fun mechanics I've ever played with. Dredge is incredible. When you play in the graveyard as often as I do, when you read a card that says mill X cards, you start to read that as draw X cards. Yeah. Is <laughs> really what kind of starts to happen. I remember like one of the first like five commander decks I ever played was Carador Ghost Chieftain. This was one of the first mm. commander decks that I like I had played ones before, but this is the first one where I like doctored my own list. Yeah, yeah. Ordered the cards for it and built it myself. And I had just about every dredge effect under the sun, including Dark Blast in that deck. Oh my god. You know, the card pool wasn't as big back in the day. <laughs> you know, so you play Dark Blast. Uh, sometimes you got to give something minus one, minus one. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the moment where I really fell in love with Dredge is when a more experienced friend of mine, uh, I was playing with him uh, and playing my deck and stuff, and he was like, hey, you know, there's a really cute trick you can do with the Dredge effect. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he told me, and this this was really where the, the hooks got in. It really captured my heart. If you ever have a, a Golgari Grave Troll on your opening hand, I mean, it doesn't have to be a Golgari oh, Grave just, Troll. Oh, you just choose not to play a land you turn one. You play a land, you yeah. draw a card, um, and, and you go to eight, you discard the dredge effect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, it doesn't have to be a Golgari Grave Troll. It can be any dredge effect. Uh, but that's the the biggest dredge in the game, so we you know we love to see that. To explain what dredge does, uh, it is not the most intuitive mechanic in the world, but it is fun as hell. It says whenever you would draw a card, you may instead put a card, put the card in question with dredge from your graveyard into your hand, and then mill X cards. So Golgari Grave Troll has dredge six, so you would mill six cards from the top of your library and put the Grave Troll back in your hand. 
All you got to do, find a way to discard that puppy back into your graveyard, and you've got yourself an engine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely delightful. From the original Ravnica block, they hit the nail on the, uh, right on the head with that one. Uh, I was so disappointed to see Scavenge yeah. in, <laughs> as the Golgari mechanic in the new... I mean, it's not the worst mechanic in the world, but it just kind of paled in comparison. It was a candle to the flame when it came to Dredge. I love this mechanic. I can't Dredge it enough. Dredge is a roaring fucking inferno compared to Scavenge's <laughs> yeah, tiny fucking Bic lighter flame. Yeah. There was one card with Dredge. It actually just now occurs to me, printed after the original Ravnica block, and that was in the first Modern Horizon set, I believe. Uh, it was the card Shenanigans, I believe, has Dredge. I'm which... not sure if I'm even familiar with it. Yeah, yeah so let, let me get this here. Here, Yeah, it's from the first Modern Horizon set. It is a red card. Oh. So typically this this effect would only appear in black and green. Um, it was a red common. is a sorcery in Modern Horizons 1. One and a red. Destroy target artifact. And it has Dredge 1. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, so a very like useful that. mechanic. Um, I, You know... If we ever saw Dredge again, I, it's not going above two, I think. No. <laughs> Dredge six is pretty egregious. You you might be lucky enough to see it in more like Modern Horizon sets, but I definitely agree with you when you say it's not coming back. Like, it's never being printed as like a, a primary mechanic. mechanic. Yeah, right. yeah, it's never yeah. coming back in that regard. You know, as much as I love it, I will admit, Dredge is overpowered. It really <laughs> is, but it's so fun. Oh, it's so fun. Oh, man. Life from the Loam? Life from the Loam is one of my favorite magic cards. Yeah, well, Life from... Giving instance and Sorcery's Dredge mm -hmm. is deceptively powerful because it kind of skips that step of having to find a way to get with creatures, having to get it into your graveyard because they automatically go there. That's one of the things that makes Life from the Loam so powerful. That's a the two-mana green sorcery. You can pick three lands from your graveyard and put them into your hand and the card itself has dredged three so it really is an engine it, by it itself is in itself a loop yeah it's yeah. really good very excellent card there um moving on uh to my next mechanic here uh and i guess my my third one uh, do you have any others after this or are we moving on to that's to all the list that i made for okay, my favorite okay. mechanic no that's perfectly fine uh then we will end this segment of our favorite mechanics uh, with my final one, which is voting. Council's Dilemma voting. and Will of the Council. I yeah. love those mechanics. If anyone is unfamiliar, they were printed in a lot of, um, in Take the Crown. Yeah, this is a conspiracy yeah, mechanic. Conspiracy, right? thank you. Yeah, I just, my mind blanked on that. Uh, and it was reprinted in the Streets of New Capenna commander deck. Right. Uh, they are slightly different abilities, uh, the ability Will of the Council uh, involves everyone voting, and then the majority of votes wins, and that effect happens. This is something. Right. Uh, this is something like Council's Judgment. Yeah, Council's Judgment. Thank you. Uh, which is a three mana white spell that says everyone, starting with you, everyone votes for a permanent. Uh, the permanent with the most votes or tied for the most votes gets exiled. Yeah. So this card, whatever that has card the is most insane, votes. by the way. It's so good. It, it skips Shroud and Hexproof. Yep, because voting Completely doesn't target. Them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's played in. It's I don't know if it still is, but I know for a long time it was played in Legacy Control decks. Yep, it's very uh, sim good. Simply because you know, I mean, in a format where you see things like you know a true name Nemesis all the time, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter if you've shit. got protection. Uh, yeah, you can. You can rip that thing anytime. Uh, and then uh, Council's Dilemma is slightly different because uh, basically it gives you two or more options. 
and every vote for one of those options triggers an effect. So, like, yeah. uh, the card Tivet Seller of Secrets has um, well, money or time, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, time and money are his Yeah, so, so time gives you... No, time and money is expropriate, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I gotta remember what all this is. Expropriate, I think, is a great example. It's definitely the most notorious card to have any kind of voting yeah. effect on it. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, so expropriate is uh, a blue spell. It costs nine total sorcery. Uh, Council's dilemma, starting with you, each player votes for time or money. For each time vote, take an extra turn after this one. For each money, choose a permanent owned by a voter and gain control of it. Exile, yep. expropriate. So slightly different, but I just kind of grabbed voting as a mechanic overall. Right. Because um, not only is it very strong, some of the cards are very strong in like 1v1 formats. Like <laughs> you mentioned, Will of the Council, insanely good card for 1v1s. Uh, but in multiplayer formats, it adds a whole nother layer of gameplay. So I much fun in multiplayer. love that. Yeah, Tons it, it's so fun just involved. to talk with people over yeah. the table. Like, well, if you vote for this, then I'll give you this later. But it's obviously putting you ahead no matter what they do. Right. And oh, then you so do good. you do see uh, with, with some with some cards, they'll have things like, oh, when voting, you get to vote an additional time. Yeah. Or the, I know there's, there's, there's a zombie from the original conspiracy uh, set that says whenever voting is finished, if anybody voted for something different than you, they lose two life. Is that the most crazy effect in the world? No. Is it but on funny. theme? Absolutely. Hilarious as hell. Love this card. Or like a illusion of choice as well, where you get to control oh, people while they vote this turn. Excellent. That's so yeah. funny. What I love about that one is that it's reality. <laughs> is that it's is that it's not a magic card. It's that one life. is an ow. Oh, we're not a politics <laughs> podcast, but uh, to bring up Tivit Seller of Secrets, he's a great example of that because he does have an ability. When, while voting, you get to vote an additional time, yeah. and his dilemma is uh, evidence and bribery. That's right, uh, treasures yeah. and clues. Yes, wow, clues he, throwback. They keep coming back up. I tell <laughs> you, you know, whenever he enters the battlefield or deals combat damage to a player, everyone votes for evidence or bribery. For each evidence vote, you investigate. And for each bribery vote, you make a treasure token. This card really excited me at first, and it still kind of does. I think they missed a little bit with the with voting as a as a mechanic on this card, simply because I mean it does have the secondary part while voting, you vote an additional time, but it feels a little bit like a cop out with that first effect. That's just very generic value. It doesn't feel like the voting really matters there. Yeah. If that makes any kind of sense. Like it's really just a question of I mean, do you want cards or mana? These are the two most useful things to you in any particular yeah. game of Commander. <laughs> Completely fair. Yeah, it's it's not it's not super. It's not, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of weight to those votes, but uh, still, you know, hopefully we get to see some more cards in the future. I would love to see more of this mechanic. Yeah, I I think that it'll come back, especially in like Commander uh, precons oh, and stuff, because it's this, very popular in multiplayer. This mechanic plays so well in Commander. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but moving on from the stuff that we love, how about some of our least favorite mechanics, Isaac? Would you care to kick us off again? I absolutely would. I absolutely would. So, call me a negative, Nancy. This one, I had a really big list, and I had to really shave it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, it took me like 15 minutes to find my three favorite mechanics, and it didn't feel like I had that much competition for it. Uh, for my least favorite mechanics, oh man. <laughs> I, I really had to dig deep to find out uh, which ones I think hurt me the most. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, number one, and I will say this is my number one least favorite mechanic of, of all, all time. time. Okay. Um, so with with the with my favorites, they were not in any particular order. These aren't either, but I will say that this first one is my singular least favorite mechanic. Um, adapt. I really? hate adapt. Um, yeah. So for anybody that is is not aware, adapt is a mechanic from Guilds of Ravnica. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of plays off of a similar mechanic from the past called monstrosity. With monstrosity, it was an activated ability that you can only activate it once. It had a binary uh, effect on it, where once you've activated it, that creature becomes monstrous. It would put a number of plus one, plus one counters on it, and typically it would trigger another effect. Yeah. With with adapt, it's like that, uh, except it's it's a uh, it's. I mean, it is essentially the same. It says you can only activate this ability once, and then this creature has adapted. Uh, however, it also, if I if I remember correctly, give me one second here. If I remember correctly, you can't even adapt something if it gets ca- counters on it from somewhere Correct. else. I believe. Correct. Uh, adapted is if it has counters on it. Period. Usually, um, if it has counters on it, it cannot use the adaptability. Yeah, and that just feels like such a huge miss to me. Just from like, if you're looking at this from perspective of because adapt is it's it's essentially like it's like an it's a it's a turn on effect it's an engine effect for plus one plus one counter decks right mm-hmm. and what do plus one plus one counter decks love to do but plus ones on everything put them like, on everything as, as and, they enter during your turn every time yeah exactly so the second you put one of these counters on a creature with adapt like if we look at this from a from a game design perspective right each word of ability text on a card takes up a certain amount of what i would call like a balance space right yeah, yeah it's like it's like a it, it's like a currency almost right you have to keep yeah. track of how we'll call it in is. points right we'll, yeah. we'll 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 say it in points let's say trample is one point adapt two or whatever depending mm-hmm. on how much it costs can be two points as well the second that you put a counter on that card from another source, you're paying the mana cost for however many points that card originally would have been worth, but you have now reduced the value of this card, right? By by yeah. buffing it from an outside source. I really don't like how that interacts with other stuff, especially when it comes to it being a Simic mechanic from Ravnica, because, I mean, one of the most fun things you can do, in my eyes, with, with the Ravnica block is like a Ravnica block cube where you play mm, ravnica yes. cards from all three sets super thematic the, the archetypes in that cube build themselves essentially but simic i mean fortunately sim you know graft and evolve are powerful enough that it'll probably be okay uh, with adapt as well mm-hmm. but you really get the short end of the stick there because like if you play a, a graft card and then graft a plus one plus one counter onto something with adapt you're 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 canceling out that ability essentially yeah just and that really that really frustrates me not only that but also i think most of the adapt activated abilities are some of the most egregiously costed effects i've ever seen yeah that's fair it's like five um, mana for two plus one plus one counters you know (laughs) like yeah not worth it yeah i i will say um a lot of the adapt like payoffs like the abilities that the creatures gain uh for example growth chamber druid is that what it is the one that taps? growth chambered growth chamber druid is a pretty solid one i was gonna say that's probably the best where it's like uh the adapt is a really ridiculous like high mana cost but it's, if uh, it has it's plus five one, plus mana one. and it gets three counters on it yeah. uh, but if it has a plus one plus one counter on it it taps for three mana instead of one which is really yeah. good so you can play it on turn two because it's two mana 
you you put a plus one plus one counter on it the next turn and boom now it taps for three mana but i will agree that that sucks now because now you, now you can't give it plus three plus three with adapt later which is it's not flavorful either because the yeah. simic are all about growing and evolving a, a, like adapt is literally changing to suit your environment and now right. uh i i'm a one fucking three instead of a zero two or whatever it is i'm, I'm probably good like we're good we're done now i was like that's yeah. so lame that sucks okay. no i agree i absolutely agree this mechanic made me so angry <laughs> similarly uh kind of the same thing where it's like i i don't uh i mechanic wise like the ability f is okay but i just hate it because of what it is i hate learn from strixhaven learn I, I fucking hate learn um anyone unfamiliar uh to learn you may reveal a lesson card from outside the game usually your sideboard if it's in competitive play uh and put it into your hand or discard a card to draw a card uh and these are specifically on lesson cards which are spells that you can put into your deck or into your sideboard like i mentioned to pull from cards that have the ability to learn on them and that is so fucking lame yeah i am sorry i i hate the learn cards i hate lessons i think that all of them suck except like mascot exhibition like some of them are good cards but like i just don't like them in general and to learn to just like wish a card into your hand or you loot is is so boring to me i think this is such a lame mechanic i think it completely thematically misses like yeah sure you're putting fucking a social science card into your hand from your sideboard <laughs> but like okay okay but that's is that really learning you just grab a card i know that the cards yeah. are knowledge but oh it's so you know, clunky i don't like yeah, it, it you know it's interesting that you say this um I, I've never really spent much time thinking about this mechanic, but I can certifiably say from the very day it was previewed, I my eyes glazed over and I was completely uninterested in it. Yeah, uh, I've ne I've never really thought about it long enough to get into the nitty gritty of like what makes this mechanic something that is just wholly uninteresting to me. But I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's just flavorfully, it doesn't really do it for me. Uh, mechanically, feels like a little bit of a cop out. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I get why they added the looting effect onto it, or yeah, doing, rather, yeah. sometimes uh, you don't. Uh, sometimes well, right, you don't need those. Well, right. Not only that, but also it would just be too parasitic of a mechanic yeah. without it. Um, you would have such a small card pool to be able to interact with that would never change, unless, God forbid, the learn mechanic come back. Yeah. Uh, but then also, like, and for example, in Commander, you don't have a sideboard. Uh, so yeah, you, you can't pull a card from outside the game. Uh, in Commander, you only get to rummage. Um, but then, like, it's also a matter of like it come. It kind of comes back to um, that kind of that kind of points thing we were talking about, where a lot of these cards, both that have the learn mechanic and are the lesson cards, mm -hmm. like a certain amount of that balance design space is spent on like well, we you can make... pull this card from outside the game, like right. as you it's, need it. So the yeah. idea is versatility at the cost of power. But uh, what they, where they missed there is uh, the flavor part that needs to go in the middle that kind of bonds those mm -hmm. things. Yeah, it's kind of it's very dry. It's a very like graham cracker kind of saltine yeah. uh, mechanic, I think. <laughs> it, it, it's it's supposed to be like pulling silver bullets like a wish mechanic, but you only have these select cards. And sometimes and they none of can them are very be useful. But yeah. yeah, they're not interesting. They're not super strong. 
uh, it takes up room in your sideboard, so it feels clunky if you're doing more than best of one matches. Right. I, just, I, I don't think conveys the idea of learning very well i just don't like it overall i really hate learn yeah and that's and a good a good you bring up a good point there of like uh you know how does it interact with like anything more like if you're doing like three ofs right mm -hmm. um you you kind of what you what you essentially have to do at the at the deck building stage now with the learn mechanic if you're considering playing any of these lesson cards is you have to look at your sideboard and you have to go all right there's an opportunity cost here if i play x y or z less an effect then i can potentially get that effect out of my sideboard in the first match um before i've done my sideboarding if i need it right but now that that also means i have to put x number of learn cards in my deck so that's an additional opportunity cost where you know in really competitive formats like modern um for example, like I, I like learn could never squeeze its way into modern. I don't think just because each card slot is so valuable. Yeah. So the opportunity cost of trying to put even a few lesson and learn cards both into your main deck and your sideboard, it wouldn't be worth it. Even if you were able to get the exact silver bullet that you need in that first match from your sideboard because you're playing learn effects, more than likely the opportunity cost of simply not having that in the first match. And then being able to sideboard in a much more efficient version of that the in the second two. and third match, yeah. that's probably going to benefit you more than having the opportunity to be able to snag that from your sideboard in the first match, right? Yep, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I just dislike the mechanic. I really hope that they either, like, I, I hope that it doesn't come back if we return to Strixhaven. I hope that a variation comes back where they change it around a little. I, I'm not a game right. designer. I am a game designer, but I don't know how to fix this problem. <laughs> I can't say that I have a. I'm getting a degree in game design, actually. So you know that's, you know what, I'll give it some thought. But yeah, I, I think it should change. <laughs> Absolutely, that's the yeah, I'm with you there. All right, well, moving on to my uh, next uh, least favorite mechanic. Again, these next two that I have are don't really have any particular order to them. I hate adapt, but this next <laughs> one is tribute. Oh, from yeah. you know i actually have a very close relationship with this effect and that's one of the reasons why i've come to resent it so much mm -hmm. um i started playing in the magic 2014 return to ravnica block uh so theros was one of the first times i was around for a new set coming out um i this is when they were still doing like um not commanders but just pre-constructed like 60 card decks that had themes uh, typically, they would be like two color decks. One of those in the Theros times was a red green tribute deck. Uh, I bought that. I thought it was really cool. All the it was full of like monsters from Greek mythology. I thought that was the coolest. You know, all these big serpents and mm -hmm. and, and, and like dragons and all this stuff. It was super cool. And thematically, I will say this mechanic has a lot going for it flavor wise but so essentially the way that tribute works is uh i, I believe it's always on an enter the battlefield trigger mm -hmm. so when, when, when a creature that has tribute enters the battlefield you choose an opponent that opponent either pays tribute or does not if they pay tribute then the creature gets a number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to its tribute value. So if it has tribute four, it gets four plus one plus one counters. If they do not pay tribute, then it has a secondary effect. Uh, there's ones that'll like make it so that creatures can't block. There's ones where you'll gain life, uh, various stuff. 
I think there's a, a giant that deals like three damage to each opponent or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, that's like the best tribute yeah. card. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, oh, uh, I, I think there's, uh, oh, wait, no, that's, I was going to say Ember Swallower. That's actually a monstrosity card. Um, but no, so the issue with tribute is there is a right answer. Um, that right answer changes, you know? So when you mm -hmm. choose your opponent um, in any given circumstance, it, it like it feels like it's something where it's like a dilemma right and they're like oh man what do i choose which it kind of is but none of the cards are powerful enough for it to provide a real dilemma and if you point it at an opponent there's always a right answer mm -hmm. um if they're holding a removal spell then it's a right answer to give that thing as many plus one plus one counters as you could ever desire because they can simply doom blade it <laughs> you know mm -hmm. um or you know if it has an effect where maybe it uh puts a minus one minus one counter on on a creature that that opponent controls if they don't pay the tribute uh what if they don't have any creatures in play that that sucks <laughs> um like and i started a, like with the life gain thing like oh, i'm at two health i'm gonna play this tribute card and in response your opponent plays a shock like right. like what the fuck is the point yeah yeah there's no and, and choice i there. i became intimately familiar with that exact frustration so quickly when i started playing this deck um and, you know, I bought packs and stuff and added my own cards to it. And it felt good to be able to do that because one of the most exciting things as a new player is when you have sets like that with really core mechanics, because it makes it really easy when you're opening packs and stuff to just clock those cards that yeah. have that mechanic and go, this goes in my deck. Now I have more tribute cards in my deck. Now I have more elemental heroes in yeah, my deck. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's very easy to that's one of the big benefits of like that's one of the big appeals of like tribal uh yeah. decks, which is probably my favorite deck archetype tribal ever in delicious. every format. I love tribal. Uh but yeah, tribute it's it's such a huge miss. I would get so frustrated so frequently because I would because it would it make me feel like when I'm looking at the card, it's like, oh, I'm an evil mastermind. And then I'd present it to my opponent. And every time they're the evil mastermind, mm -hmm. <laughs> I did not like how that felt. I got so frustrated with it. I, I uh, think so, that's, yeah, I think that's such a cool idea for a mechanic too, like offering up to these incredibly powerful right. monsters or beings like you have to make a choice and both are bad for you. But yeah, in the end, it's just kind of a miss because. It doesn't have to be bad for them. It, it's up to them in the end, yeah. which is really yeah. It bad. just it just wasn't. It's just that every one of these cards has two effects. Your opponent gets to pick which effect that they get, and neither of them are impactful enough for it to matter. I think mm -hmm. a better way to if 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 I were to design this, some ideas that come to mind is like maybe instead of it being like here's the secondary effect which is different from card to card, and then here's plus one plus one counters. Maybe it's just the same thing like it's the same two, two things for all of effect. them well right and maybe something like losing life or discarding cards right oh, something wow, like that yeah. like that's already that's a lot more compelling i um, agree i think um yeah tribute like it's it, this one makes me sad because like flavorfully it's it's there that's really cool but it just is such a huge miss when it comes to you know real gameplay yeah i wonder if it could return at some point honestly a little bit changed a little bit reworked right i would honestly i would like to see that if they changed it up a bit yeah I and agree. it could even be as simple as just upping the general power level of cards that have tribute yeah absolutely that could be another way to kind of repair that i mean i mean theros and cons of tarkir those those sets they were adjacent to each other and they were honestly the kind of valley of like power creep mm -hmm. in the last 10 years like these were the sets that kind of had like the least power attached to them 
Like if if you if you look at like a curve of like return to Ravnica block, Theros block, Kontatarkir block, that's a decline in power mm-hmm. over those three blocks. And then that's where we start after cons to creep upward, uh, kind of peaking for a while at Throne of Eldraine, then plateauing, and uh, now we're in the modern day where the graph is gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, nothing, nothing matters anymore. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that that kind of suffered from that design space a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to uh, to my second, uh, I, again, not in any particular order, but now my second of my least favorite picks. Uh, I don't like the party mechanic. Oh man, I'm actually that actually floors me because I should have put that on mine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like party is such a fucking miss. First of all. It's not in the D&D set? Like, why? Huh? But also, the payoff for party, right? Party is the idea that um, you play a a card, and if you control certain types of creatures, you get a bonus effect. Like, if you control a warrior, if you control a mage, or if you control a wizard, whatever, yeah. Yeah, you got warriors, wizards, rogue. And clerics. Yeah, rogues and clerics, yeah. Um, and if you control those, you get some type of bonus effect. But on like 90% of the playable party cards, that effect is just reducing the mana cost of the card. Yep. Which I get it is like it is like the teamwork effect, right? Like you're lowering the cost, but it's so boring. Yep, not very thoughtful. Yeah, I, I feel like there is so much more they could have done with a party mechanic, like payoff yeah. for running different tribes. I think that would have been so much cooler than just, you can destroy a creature for two mana instead of five. Right. Wow, isn't that nice? It's like, and you know, yeah, I, but eh. You know, I will say, it. so it was not in the Dungeons & Dragons main sets, but mm-hmm. one of the, I believe, the the battle for Baldur's Gate yes commander precons was built around yeah, the party mechanic and you know i really would have liked to see it in the main set because while those those decks the precons do have a certain amount of design space set aside for them to have new cards that are built around those decks that deck and you know if you're going to upgrade it it suffers from the fact that the zendikar aversion of the party effects are so wholly lame yeah. that there isn't very much upgrade space for your cool new commander. I actually really like both of the playable commanders with the party mechanic from that deck. One of them like buffs, I believe it's like every end step, all of your party creatures get plus yeah, one counters. The, tribes. Yeah. Uh, the one that I like even more is the is the secondary one that you're supposed to play with a background, uh, Baraka's party leader, uh, who very simply is simply an orc and counts as every uh, as every party uh, creature, and then has an effect where like whenever your party creatures hit players, you like generate treasure tokens and stuff. Uh, there's a very cute combination you can do. One of the bl- the the black grounds, one of the backgrounds. <laughs> Uh, one of the the black ones, in fact, uh, the mythic black one from the one of the other uh, precons, it uh, it's, it says whenever your commander becomes tapped, every creature that shares a creature type with it gets undying and plus two plus oh, zero. Wow. So if you play it with Barakos, um, unfortunately you're restricted only to mono black, but all of your wizards, warriors, clerics, and rogues get that effect. I think that's just such a cute design that space to be, a, cool. be able to play with that. Um, if you were to build a deck around that, honestly, you're probably not playing a party deck. You're probably yeah. just playing a mono black value deck. You're playing like creature, rogues. 
Yeah, well, what I would do is simply just play like an, an aristocrats deck and just make sure that all of my aristocrats are our party creatures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let clerics me tell you what, it's, yeah. it's pretty easy to even just between clerics and wizards, pretty easy to oh, play yeah. aristocrats. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think party just should have been better honestly i think yeah. they should have been better payoffs i like the mechanic of creating a group of different types of creatures but the payoffs are so just boring not even Agreed. that bad they're just boring yeah i, I would absolutely be inclined to agree with that the best way you can really take advantage of it is playing in a decks that have a lot of like changelings in it yeah uh, and then you can kind of incidentally uh gain the value of those cards because again, it doesn't really actually care about the creatures you have in play. It just cares about reducing the value, the reducing the mana value of what you're casting because you fit, you know, X, Y, or Z uh, prerequisite. Um, and yeah, I, I think they could have done a lot more exciting stuff with that. Mm -hmm. Alrighty, so moving on to the next one. This is my final least favorite mechanic. Uh, this one is level up. Uh, this is another one, you know, this, it feels like, you know, this is like what, two or three times now that, that we've come back to a mechanic and gone flavorfully. This is really cool, mm -hmm. but mechanically it really just misses. And I will say at the time of its release, this wasn't a terrible mechanic. Um, wasn't the best mechanic in the world. It's, it's the kind of thing I mean, the, the real issue with it is that you have to sink time and mana into it. Right. Yeah. And then if you lose the creature that has level up, you have now lost a lot more than if you had simply lo effectively lost the one mana that you that you paid to cast this silly yeah. little merfolk or whatever. Yeah. For anybody that is not aware, the level up mechanic, it's from the original Zendikar block. Um, and also, so this actually kind of comes back to the, the party mechanic a little bit too. Before, Dun uh, before Magic the Gathering had the like the wherewithal and the ability to license Dungeons and Dragons in their game, Zendikar was actually, as a plane, designed around the thematic ideology of Dungeons and Dragons. It was all about adventuring mm -hmm. and exploring. Um, and that's uh, allies. The ally mechanic was actually kind of an attempt to do a party-like thing because you'll see that most of the ally creatures are things like you know druids and, and shamans and rogues and wizards and warriors and stuff because it's trying to kind of reflect like these are the these are the D&D like party characters these are like the good guys are fighting against you know vampires and all, all kinds of stuff like that and that was kind of the initial idea of Zendikar um, and so when we look at the level up mechanic that's a direct you know reflection of them trying to to sink their teeth into that kind of D&D design space as well and the way that this would work is that each creature would have a different level up cost, um, which varies from creature to creature. It might be one blue mana, might be two colorless mana. It depends on the creature. Um, there's really like th three or four level up creatures that I really have seen play uh, over the years. Uh, but but essentially, they, they have little uh, thresholds on that card where... Uh, once it has X level counters on it, then then it is at this level, right? So if it has three level counters, it's level three, and then it has a little threshold on that card. When it reaches level three, it gets this ability. When it reaches level six, it gets this ability. Um, some of those abilities can be pretty powerful, but the problem is any of the ones that have playably powerful effects 
you have to pay a lot of mana to get there, right? Yeah. And if you have, you know, even like, I think uh, w- one of the best examples I can think of is like Lighthouse Chronologist, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of the ones, like, I thought this card was super strong when I first started playing Magic. I would say that this is kind of a trap card, honestly. And it's it's a mythic rare as well. So it's two mana, it's a one three, and it levels up for a single blue mana. If you level up to level four, then it becomes a two four. That's the only thing that it does. Mm-hmm. In order to get to level four already, you are playing six mana for a two four that does nothing else, right? So if somebody removes this card before it gets to the next tier is level seven, uh, then you have spent six mana on that's one of the worst costed effects I've ever seen in Magic, right? If you do get to level seven, this means that you have to pay seven blue mana in addition to the two mana that you already paid, at, at which point it becomes a three five but it gives you a very powerful effect, right? Yeah. At the beginning of each end step, if it's not your turn, take an extra turn after this one. In Commander, that means that you're taking four turns around, okay? That's nuts. But the problem is, you're never going to get there, and you're going to put ton- It's the kind of thing where it, it looks at you, the player, and it's like, yeah, give me your mana. Don't you want to play me? Don't you want to take so many turns? Don't you want to take four times as many turns as all of your friends, which will make them like you more? Definitely not stop playing with you. Exactly. But you're never going to get to that point. You're going to spend your entire turn dumping all of... And you can only level up as a sorcery, too. Yeah. So you're going to spend your whole turn trying to get to... Because you're like, oh, if I can just get to that level seven, then it's going to make up for all of this. Which... You know, in one or two rounds, might well be true. You'll definitely gain enough value out of that after, like, one round in Commander to recoup your losses there. But you're never going to get there. You're going to be sitting there with a shitty creature that cannot protect you, cannot deal damage in the meantime, and then before it ever gets to its useful effects, is going to die. Um, The only one that I've ever... There are two that I've ever seen that are, like, still played today. One of them is a Merfolk Lord, and the other one is an Elf Lord. That's essentially it. The uh, yeah. the elf lord. Um, it. I mean, it's easy as hell to generate mana in an elf ball deck, so it kind of makes up for some of that that opportunity cost. Uh, it just buffs all of your elves, and I think it taps for mana as well. And then the uh, the merfolk lord very simply buffs your merfolks. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that one you don't have to level up a lot of times either. Uh, I will say this uh, level up is kind of continued to be printed, but in a little bit of a different form. For example, uh, Ascendant Spirit and Evolved Sleeper, uh, where they just have like the pay like two mana and it changes creature type and gains new abilities. That's pretty close to what level up was. The difference being uh, those let you do it. Well, almost all of them, I believe, let you do it at instant speed and it's like that mana cost and that effect happens and i think that that is a much bigger deal than evolve where you have to pump one man into it pump one man into it pump right. one man into it and get like uh eight counters okay now it has this ability like that yeah it's very very different but i think it's the same idea and i actually really like the kind of new version of it like the uh the new samwise from yes. the lord of the rings sets cool. has that where he transforms his creature type Uh, very cool stuff. I like that. I do not like level up. I agree. Yeah. Interestingly enough, that mechanic, if I, if I recall, is actually a little bit older than level up. Um, it might be. 
because I think because the first time it ever appeared was in the Lorwyn block, which I believe is before. Yeah, that's before Zendikar. Yes. Um, the first one we ever saw with this, and these are almost across the board. These are one drops too, so it's really easy to. We usually see them in two colors, but the first one is Figure of Destiny in red white. Um, all of these abilities are based on. The first one is typically one mana, and it changes the creature type and buffs it up. The second one, you can only activate if it is the first one's creature mm -hmm. type. So figure of destiny, it's one mana, become a Kithkin spirit. You can pay three mana. If it's a spirit, it becomes a 4-4 four, four warrior. And then for six oh, I mana... I that card existed. Yeah. And then for six mana, if it's already a warrior, then it, then it gets way better. Uh, and gets all these super powerful effects and stuff. It's kind of a similar thing. Of like, you do have to invest mana into it, but you can do it at instant speed. It's You get more out of it. Because one of the bigger issues with level up is typically the highest tier of effect is very good, but everything in between is essentially a waste of mana. Mm -hmm. You don't have that problem with these cards because it is like... This is more of a thing where it's like it's a threat that keeps up with the turns is really what it does. It's actually even more effective because if you play Figure of Destiny on turn one and then upgrade it on t at turn three, you have a 4-4 four -four on turn three. You know, that could have been, I will say, like a 1-1 one -one and a 3-3, three -three, which, you know, could potentially be better depending on how you look at it. But then, you know, by turn six, you've got an 8-8 eight -eight with all these abilities and stuff. Uh, the, one of the cuter things I've seen people do with these cards is they'll play stuff that like uh, like mask with nexus that makes them all creature types then you can just mm. automatically go to the last, the last step one. which is pretty funny <laughs> yeah yeah i think the other one that i remember was uh i don't recall the name of the card but it was from cons of tar here i believe it was like a green a green white or a green black card from the from the which one of the the like arc clans was the plus one plus one counter one the abzan one of the abzan cards i believe had that effect on it mm-hmm Alrighty, Mason, what have you got for your next least favorite mechanic? All right. then, uh, I believe this is the final one, correct? This is all three. Yeah, yes, sir. All right. Um, I despise, with my entire being, the cleave mechanic mm, from the cleave. new Innistrad. Okay, and, okay I'm listening. Okay. This is another thing. It's it's almost there, flavor-wise, right? Uh, if anyone is unfamiliar, Cleave is uh, a card has regular text on it, and then part of that text is in square brackets. And if you play the Cleave cost, or if you pay the Cleave cost, in addition to the regular mana cost, you play that card without the text in brackets. And flavor-wise, Innistrad, right, very, like, nightmarish thing, Cleave brings to mind, like, a guy swinging an axe, hacking people or monsters or things, ideas into pieces, and it's really close there. I think Cleave is really close to that, like, flavor-wise. However, there is a very old Magic the Gathering joke, and that joke is that everything is kicker. Uh, mor morph is just kicker, but, you know, delayed, and you turn the creature upside down, right? Monstrous is just delayed kicker, you know? Overload is just a different type of kicker. But I will tell you right now that Cleave is just kicker. It really there is. There is it's, no it's... extra sub-little rule. 
cleave is just kicker <laughs> it's essentially backwards kicker it is so right because kicker is reason... you're paying an extra cost for more effects cleave is you're paying t usually a cheaper cost for less effects yes so so i understand the reason they did it right the reason they did it is because some of the card decks would be too long uh so there is a card called inspired idea it is uh two anonymous and a blue sorcery draw three cards and then in square brackets your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game and its cleave cost is five uh sorry it's not an addition to it's it, instead instead it's yeah. an alternate casting yeah. card uh yeah. and so if you pay it for uh, if you play it for five mana it instead just says draw three cards and i get that like if cleave didn't exist the card would read like uh draw three cards your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game kicker if you pay this for its kicker cost instead draw three cards right like that's longer that's a longer text box. It has more words. I think Cleave could have just not happened. They Man. they took a really cool MTG like name, like Cleave. Cleave is a super cool mechanic, especially for Innistrad. Like I said, like hacking things apart, and they made it kicker. I had never thought about that. It's, yeah, I've heard. I've it's heard the such joke, a waste. Everything is kicker for such a long time, and somehow I never noticed that Cleave literally is kicker. It is. It literally is just That's kicker. That's so funny. It is, and it's, it's actually when you look at it from like a, a little a more of like a flavor wise kind of thing. This is a very rare example where they named this mechanic over what they're doing with the text and not what's happening in yeah like in the, the car world. in the effect right yeah so like it's called cleave because you the player are cleaving off words from the text box yeah. it's not it has it actually has nothing to do with like hacking things apart in the world uh so so yeah you're absolutely right there yeah i i think that um if you're gonna use the keyword cleave on innistrad right like hack creatures apart hack pieces of them off make more right. like copies of the creature that are weaker right like i mean split them into pieces instead you made it kick you put kicker right. on the innistrad cards and you used up a cool <laughs> keyword to do yeah, it yeah i would How agree with that i mean you. As a long time like Dungeons and Dragons and MMO player, to me, cleave has a bespoke meaning, which mm -hmm. means hitting two or more enemies at the same time. So I would love, I would have loved to see cleave be introduced as like a kind of keyword, almost like trample. I mean, you could you could use it almost exactly like trample, where you you deal excess damage to a another different creature. creature. Yeah, right. That'd be cool as hell, and yeah, cleave would be literally the perfect keyword for yep. that. And now there instead, is it's a better keyword for it, that. Instead. Of that, instead of anything cool, it is now Innistrad Kicker. That is what they used it on. And that that peeves me to no end. I actually almost put Kicker on on this list. Under favorite um, or least favorite? On my least favorite. Not going on obscure. It's not going on obscure, <laughs> absolutely. The, the main thing, because I think we have, there, there are kind of three eras of Kicker. Mm -hmm. um, the original Kicker cards were, for the most part, not four because there was like prototype kicker they were pretty much all bad yeah. then there was okay we've got it now kicker which is we had tons of these cards yep, we had like this, when we were still in the old border days there were yeah. just oodles of cards with kicker and many of them were pretty dang good then we had the return era of kicker where they were bad again and then in more in the last like couple of years when we've seen kicker and multi-kicker come back they've usually been pretty playable yeah um but I've I've I just remember when I started playing, everything we were, had kicker. 
everything on kicker and we were in the bad era of kicker where everything was bad with kicker um and i that so i took a step back and kind of looked at it more and was like uh this isn't that bad of a mechanic um yeah it's just kind of the the way that i remember it there were a lot of bad kicker you're saying i can pay seven mana to play a three three that deals three (laughs) on entry what a fucking steal oh my god (laughs) now that's a threat all right, we're going on just a little bit over an hour, so let's spend the next uh, 15, 20-ish minutes uh, finishing up with our obscure mechanic that we chose. Right. We each, I, I believe, only chose one of these, if I'm, yes, if I I'm not one. mistaken. So, Isaac, would you like to kick us off? Oh, would I? Oh, man, kick I'm excited about off. this. Soul Shift. All right. You are, I, Isaac, I picked the same mechanic as you. <laughs> I picked Soul Shift. <laughs> I picked fucking Soul Shift. We picked the same obscure. So this is the only I didn't one. Tell you before we started recording. This is the only one where we picked the same mechanic. <laughs> and it was on I the obscure. I can't believe one. you picked Soul Holy Shift. Holy shit. I love Soul Shift. That's, that saves us some time, I Holy, guess. Let's just talk does. about Soul yeah. Shift. Holy oh, shit. Oh, man. That's so hilarious. the reason that I picked Soul Shift for me. <laughs> The way that this is so not only is this an extremely obscure mechanic from a pretty often mm-hmm. forgotten set, Kami the original Kamigawa block. Champions, uh... Champions of Kamigawa, baby. Um this mechanic says it, the way that it reads is Soul Shift X. Uh, I'm currently looking at the card Body of Jukai, mm-hmm. which has Soul Shift 8. The way that this reads is when this is put into a graveyard from play, so when it dies, you may return target spirit card with converted mana cost in this case, eight or less from your graveyard to your hand. So if it was Soul Shift 6, you would pick a spirit with mana value 6 or less. If it was Soul Shift 5, you'd pick with mana value 5 or less. Um, the way that I would really like to see this return would actually to be it, to see it either tied to a different creature type, like zombies Ooh. or skeletons or even elementals, something like that. Uh, because, I mean, if we're being honest, Kamigawa spirits are just elementals. Yeah. Um, well, their elementals are demons, I guess. Um, or to just see it tied to no creature type at all, uh, which might be pushing it too far, especially because, you know, I've caught myself complaining about, oh, this is too generically powerful before. So, I mean, that might be a little hypocritical there to just say, like, <laughs> get a creature with mana value X or less. Uh, but you could call that Grave Shift bone shift you know i don't know i want soul shift back though i would be fine with seeing it tied to spirits again if the spirits were a were a big creature type in any particular set Mm -hmm. but i want soul shift back that's a cool mechanic and it's not overpowered and it's not underpowered either it's just the only reason it was underpowered in kamigawa is because all the cards in kamigawa were bad they all suck (laughs) i so so the reason i chose soul shift is actually uh, along kind of the similar lines where i i i love the mechanic uh but i have a, a very very deep personal attachment to it because the person that taught me to play magic uh was my neighbor from many years ago uh who is much older than me she was like 30 when i was like 10 and she taught me how to play magic which is pretty hilarious uh just because i mentioned it one day uh but she gifted me a whole bunch of magic cards of love her old magic cards because she didn't play anymore after she taught me and the cards that she gave me were from two sets they were they were from the mirrodin block and they're from the kamigawa block and the Ah. first deck i ever built was green black soul shift spirits and it did was you play as one in there i did eh? i did i did play it on as one and i didn't understand why it was supposed to be good i just used it as a big stat stick i was like why Hell the fuck yeah. would i want things in my graveyard what <laughs> or, uh, sorry yeah, and on a death's a death's aspect is the one that i'm that's thinking right of. yeah um, that's the not a black one right yeah 
but I, this was the first mechanic I ever built a deck around. I had the good old, like, Zuberas in there, the Dripping Tongue Zuberas. Oh, and hell yeah. And I, I would shift all kinds of spirits just over and over again. And it was so much fun. I love Soul Shift. And like you said, it's not it's not too strong. It's not too weak. It could yeah. be slapped onto other creature types. The it only could. reason it was bad was because all the cards with it were fucking awful. Right, exactly. Because it all of these spirits so are bad. like a nine mana six sixes yeah. with no keyword, and then just have a soul soul shift. Right? I I very distinctly remember. I I think it's. Let me look up Kami of Lunacy real quick. Kami of. Lunacy. Oh, I've never even heard of this card. That's yes, rare. Yes, it, uh, it was. Um, it was disastrous. It is uh, four anonymous and two black for a four one with flying and soul shift five. Oh, this and is a bad card. <laughs> I ran four of those in my soul shift deck. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Oh, Fuck man. yeah, I did. I wow, it's I'm so still recovering. Bad. I cannot believe we both picked soul That's shift. Hilarious. God, yeah, you know that just goes to show you the people want it. The people That's want right. soul shift. That's back, right. Hey, people begged to come back to Kamigawa, and we did. And we all did. Right? So. Where's my soul shift? Where's I don't care if Kamigawa's full of robots now. I still have my Aname death aspect from back then. I still have it. Yeah. It's, in, it's in my binder. I can literally... I have it like 10 feet from me. <laughs> I love yeah. soul shift. God damn. Honestly, what I would really like to see with soul shift is give it to skeletons. Call it mm. like a bone shift or something. Give skeletons identity as a creature type other than regenerate. <laughs> other other than years you ago. can pay two mana to return it to the battlefield tapped well okay <laughs> okay first of all don't dis reassembling a skeleton that's the best no, card that's ever incredible printed. yeah i know it's it's good. my problem with skeletons is their only identity as a creature type is quote unquote like like not dying i guess mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. sometimes that's regenerate sometimes it's it puts it into your hand sometimes it's reassembling skeleton it's the best card ever printed <laughs> do something with soul shift and not only that but one of the, i think one of the reasons that soul shift really excites me is so rarely do you see graveyard recursion effects that are repeatable yeah, uh yeah. unearth flashback these are very powerful effects you can only do them once and if there's one if there's if there's one thing that i hate to see in my graveyard it's the word exile i won't stand yeah. for it um and soul shift is an excellent way around that and it's a pretty dang it's a pretty dang fair mechanic especially when all the creatures tied to it are trash yeah absolutely can you imagine a set a set where soul shift and dredge were core mechanics oh my oh, god man oh, i would coom the land of milk and honey <laughs> i remember um another kind of just generically related to this mechanic is arcane spells like i don't right. think they really fulfilled the niche they were trying to but I love what they were trying to go for. Yeah. Another creature that I ran in my good old Soul Shift deck, probably the only, like, okay card in that was Thief of Hope. Which yeah, is, I'm familiar uh, with Thief of Hope. Yeah, two anonymous and a black for a 2-2 spirit that says whenever you play a spirit or, or arcane spell, you drain one from an opponent with Soul Shift 2. And, yeah. like, that's, that's actually an okay card. You know what? That's, like mediocre <laughs> it's prob yeah. probably the best you know, card in the deck you know funny enough the mechanic that i almost chose for this was actually splice uh like from yeah splice like on splice arcane. on arcane yeah that because that was a cool idea again it was kind of it kind of suffered from all the cards in that block being bad so the mechanic was inherently bad as a mm -hmm. result 
in the modern day, I see no reason for Splice to be tied only to arcane spells. Yeah, they could absolutely. just they could just make Splice and it's just Splice onto an instant or sorcery. Yeah. For any listeners that aren't aware, Splice onto Arcane is essentially you have an instant or sorcery in your hand and it has a secondary cost. It's not a casting cost, it's an activated ability. Um or an additional cost, rather, where mm-hmm. whenever you cast an arcane spell, you can pay the splice cost from another card and add that card's text box to whatever you're casting. But you don't actually expend that card. It stays in your hand. It was usually very overcosted, and the card and the arcane spells were bad, so it wasn't really yeah. worth playing. Yeah. Um, we saw it return in Modern Horizons 2 on a single card, Splicer Skill. Like, it's a interacts with, like, the Splicer Golems from... Uh, from New Phyrexia, which is kind of cute, but I could definitely see Splice returning as a, as a mechanic just tied to generically instants and sorcery. I think that would be fine. I think it's very... Honestly, I think that it could be a very good mechanic. I think so, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, question is something that I don't actually know about Splice. Can you do it in response to a spell resolving? I don't actually uh, how, know. How do you mean? So, so like, uh, I'm, I'm going to cast an arcane spell. I ask, does this resolve nothing happens uh i splice onto it they still have the opportunity to counter of course that's that's on the stack oh so well so i will say now i'm not sure if this is what you mean but as soon as your opponent passes priority back to you it resolves and there's nothing that else is you true. can do yeah. in that time yeah. um i do but here let me look up what i'm not actually sure what the timing on splice is yeah um, they, I, it feels second. like you could do some wacky shit with it but i'm not sure right. what that would be it's as you cast, so it has to be done the okay. moment you declare what's when you declare it. Okay, makes yes. sense. That makes sense. That uh, that clears things up quite a lot. Yes, indeed. Alrighty. Well, I believe that's about all we've got for time today. Was it there is. anything else we wanted to cover before uh, we get to the end of the episode? No, I think I think that about covers it. We were thinking about going over some spoilers and stuff, or or mentioning upcoming sets, anything like that. But we uh we used all of our time uh, very Dude, effectively. We had a lot to I say. Think. We did. We, we did. Very fun. We'll episode. come back to talk about upcoming exciting March of the Machines mm-hmm. revolutionary spoilers next week. Absolutely uh so absolutely rejoin us for that kind of stuff you know uh, you know take a look at the card list we'll probably be talking about some deck ideas some commander ideas yeah what we think is going to be absolutely fucking busted and what we think of battles so make sure to join us next week and as always we'll see you soon (laughs) 